What's up, everyone? In this episode, we interviewed celebrity personal trainer Justin Gelbrand. If you've seen him on TV, Justin's probably trained him. Some of his many clients include Candace Swampole, Taylor Swift, Ryan Seacrest, Leonardo DiCaprio, Anne Hathaway, Irina Shayk, and Miranda Kerr. Bottom line is, no one's trained more celebrities than he has. We start off by having Justin Cook for most of the episode, and we spend the last 20 minutes doing Q&A. Let us know what you guys think, and let's get right to the episode. Serena Williams to me is someone who I've always loved and, and followed. She never really reached the training or the level that I thought she could ever reach. And I don't want to bash on other trainers or other therapists or whoever I've worked, but this is a woman that was God's given gift to the world, who's so smart, so strong, so elusive, but to me, never trained properly to get to where her level is. And yes, she's the top of the top. But for me, I'm like, you know what? If I would have trained her, she would have won 35, 40 grand slams instead of winning 23 grand slams because she never trained the way that she sh supposedly should have trained it, you know? And I'm giving you these examples not to pick on these people. These are people that empower me and literally inspire me in their work. But it's very uninspiring to watch all these trainers giving them the exercises and the regimens and the stuff for them to do in order to reach the top level. And they can't reach that top level because of why? Because they're not training properly. Yeah, on my hustle, keeping it going. This what you need. Yes, indeed. This is coaching you, coaching, hosted by Yash, the podcast, interviewing the elite high school, collegiate, and professional athletes, trainers, and doctors. Really, it's the dopest info that you need. This is coaching you, coaching. Let's go. JG, appreciate you hopping on today. How you doing? I'm doing really well. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. So, why don't you start telling me a little bit about how you got into fitness? So, I grew up in New Jersey. My parents moved back and forth between New Jersey and New York. We traveled basically all around. My dad's a lawyer. So in the beginning years of his career, we were basically going between New York, New Jersey, Long Island, and we would go sometimes to Philadelphia, Maryland, and so forth. My parents threw me in a pool when I was about three. My dad was a very avid tennis player, bowler, and sports freak basically he loved anything to do with sports always watching sports on tv always being involved in the athletic field and so when i was you know three four years old i also had a tennis racket in my hand and throughout my throughout my youth i played soccer i, I swam and i played tennis and those were really my three sports and as i started to grow everything to do just similar to what you said when we first started was fitness and health has always been a part of my life, sports especially. Because of my dad, I always used to watch baseball, basketball, football, hockey, soccer, any sport that I could get my hands on, anything that I could watch and know I did. Growing up, I swam for a national team in Berkeley Heights called the Berkeley Aquatic Club, where I was given the opportunity to be around, you know, a lot of very, not only athletic people, but people in the sports field. So Mark Spitz, John Neighbor used to come and they used to do different interviews and seminars and so forth for us. I had the ability and the opportunity to go to the Olympic Training Center in Colorado Springs when I was 17 years old. I spent six weeks in what you call the air is rare. We swam at the army base and we also got to stay at the Olympic Training Center which was one of the most incredible experiences of my life. We got to swim in a flume. They tested our aerobic paces. We got to go to different swim meets when we were there. And so swimming 
really gave me the opportunity to become who I was because our coach, not only was he a part of this national team, but he was also a part of the Olympic committee. And so most of the swimmers on my team, starting from a young age, so we had swimmers from 12, you know, all the way to 18, obviously, because it was just that group. But most of the swimmers we had on the team were national and, you know, junior national Olympic Olympic trials and junior Olympic, I would say, at that level per se. And so during my time of being with the Berkeley Aquatic Club, being under the tutelage of Jim Wood, God bless him, he passed away a few years ago. He really gave us the opportunity to really learn about what fitness is, what exercise is, and how to be not only in the pool and, and having that regimen. I always say to people, I swam up until I was 21 years old, as many laps as Michael Phelps. I mean, we used to swim every day from 4 to 6.30 in the afternoon and then four days a week from 5.30 to 7. So we were swimming anywhere between 10 and 14,000 yards a day, not including whatever hell week that he gave us. During Christmas time, we would have something called hell week where we would swim every day from 8 to 10 or 8 to 10.30 and then 4 to 6 or 4 to 6.30. And during those times, we would swim anywhere between 20 and 25,000 yards a day. So yeah, we were, I was swimming like an Olympian, you know, and I had the opportunity to learn all about calisthenics and exercise and fitness and health and nutrition and so forth. And so when I got into college, I was majoring in biology and I wanted to be a doctor at the time. And through our own college experiences, as you are in college now, you know, college, you have to make what it is for yourself. And I came home one day and I said to my mom, I said, listen, I found something that I really loved. And I got into the exercise science department which was its own department. And, you know, I studied exercise science and sports management because I was really interested in understanding the business side of sports and sport and the law and exercise physiology. And then I decided, you know, during that time, when I got out of school, I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but I wanted to do something in fitness. So when I did my internship, I worked for the New York, New Jersey Metro Stars, and I got to work for the assistant in marketing and sales and I was, you know, in charge of the soccer celebration and putting together the events and so forth. And I was really involved in those aspects of the marketing and advertising behind the Metro Stars. But for me, I was always, because we got to go in the field and we got to be around the players and so forth, I was really more interested in how can you adapt sports to exercise and what makes exercise with you and makes you the better person? Who are you? Where do you come from? How do I make you the best you in your own specific body? What sports do you play? What activities do you participate in? Are you an intramural person? Are you, you know, a club person, a national person, an Olympic person? And so whatever you were going to do to make you the best you, that's what I thought was the antidote of success behind each individual. And people can say from, you know, day one when they're starting whatever sport or activity that they're playing in, that, you know, they can become really good at whatever that sport is. But in order to become, you know, an avid sports player, you really under, not only understand the rules of the sport, but you have to train for the sport. And so in the year 1997, when I graduated from Rutgers, I went to school for five years. I decided it was time to move to Los Angeles. I felt like, 
you know, working for the Metro Stars was great, but the opportunity was at that time they were going to create a new team called the Miami Fusion. This is obviously way before Inner Miami even it was involved. And they wanted me to do another internship. And I was like, mm, you know, I love you very much, but this is not something that I really want to do. So I moved out to Los Angeles. And when I got to LA, I was in that mode of, okay, what am I going to do? You know, I swam my whole life. I played lots of sports. I wasn't sure how or what I wanted to be as far as a career. And I was 24 years old at the time. And so I, I opened my, my own swim school. So I was teaching kids from six months to six years. And then I was working as a lifeguard, a swim coach. And then I started to do everything. I was delivering food for Rusty and Encino. And then I was, you know, a bus boy working for somebody who was cooking for celebrities. And then I was also driving, you know, for different companies. I started to be an extra for, you know, acting. And I was like, okay, I'm working five jobs, trying to make things happen. And what do I really want to do? And at the time I was dating someone and we were going back and forth to 24 hour fitness in West Hollywood because it was where I was working at the time. It was also close to where I was living. I was living in Westwood by UCLA. And so I was like, you know what? I really don't know what I want to do, but working five jobs isn't doing it for me either. So I started to really focus on the swimming and the swim school and so forth. And as I started to grow and work, I was working with different people in the gym, you know, work swimming outside and the fitness advisor say, hey, Justin, would you like to be a trainer? I'm like train who though? And they're like, well, you know, be a trainer in the gym. You know, we get you your clients. You have to follow this protocol, which for me, I wasn't really a big protocol person, but I said, you know what? That sounds good. But if I'm going to do this, I need to have the ability to train these women that these trainers have running up and down stairs. And so when you went into 24 hour fitness, you had the front desk and then you went around a corner and then you had stairs going up, 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 and up. And so every day you would go in the gym and, and these trainers had these, you know, women that were 30, 40, 50, up to hundred pounds overweight men too running up and down the stairs, up and down the stairs, up and down the stairs, up and down the stairs. And I turned to my fitness advisor one day. I said, listen, I grew up a swimmer, tennis player, soccer player, ran cross country. I lettered in four sports in high school. I understand what athletics and what it takes to be someone who wants to get in shape. I said, but no, number one, I already knew that 90% of what you do is what you eat. So nutrition was very big. Understanding the person's body and their lifestyle. Are they in the car? Are they sedentary? Do they move? Are, are they someone that have to pick up heavy boxes? Someone delivers mail or someone who's at a desk all day? Someone who's on a plane, a train, a car? You have to look at the person and who they are and how are you going to make their experience the best in their own bodies? And most of the training that they were teaching us is all weight training and all, no, nothing functional. Nothing really built for each individual is always a one size fits all type of program. And I said, listen, I grew up in a place where I was taught by the best. I worked with the best and if I'm swimming this amount of yards per day and I'm literally an athlete in all sorts of ways. How are you going to tell me that one size fits all? Because people have to start from somewhere. And if you don't build the foundations of the body, how are you going to create a program for someone who has no foundation? 
someone who's never worked out before, someone who's actually scared of the gym. I said, you really have to teach them how to balance, stabilize, mobilize, move properly, and build that program for their lifestyle. I said, so if you give me these women and you allow me to train them, then I will think about being a trainer for 24-hour fitness. Well, the two fitness advisors are like, sorry, we, we don't do that. And I'm, well, I'm going to say this to you. You will see over the next week or two, maybe more, someone's going to fall down the stairs. These women and these men are not capable of running up and down and up and down and up and down, carrying weights in their hand, doing crazy lunges and burpees and all these crazy exercises that aren't fit for their body. So if you're willing to help me, I'm willing to help you. But if you're only going to allow me to work with people that you are giving me, then that's great. But at the same time, I don't think I can help you as well. Four days later, one woman's running down the stairs. She hits the fourth stair from the little area before you go down the last level and she falls right on her shoulder. Cries, screams, you know, she thought she broke her, her, her collarbone. She's all upset. I walked over to her and I said, listen, you know, I don't want to be somebody who's going to get involved in your specific life and lifestyle because I don't know you, but I'm willing to take over for the trainer that you've been training with and really help you get in shape. There was also another guy's name was Wing Wu whose mother was a little bit, I would say one of those moms that really loves her child, but also didn't really care about the health, fitness, and wellness of her child. And so he was one of those closet eaters. He weighed 405 pounds. And I was really anxious because I was watching him do the same similar stuff. And I went up to him and said, listen, I will train you. I will help you, but you need to work with me together. And so finally, the fitness advisors gave in and they gave me about four of the clients that these trainers were working with, as well as Wing and as well as a couple of other clients. And I, I really started to build exercise in a fitness program based on the level of these individuals and who they were. And then from there, things started to evolve. I actually started with those four and in the interim, they started introducing me to different clients. So I'd worked with this girl named Christy Pierce, who at the time was, she was engaged to Josh Dumel. I was also working with this woman, Anne Gerso, who was a really big editor. She did Bram Stoker's Dracula, and that was how she started her career. And then I started to work with different people at the time. And I was kind of getting sick of working at 24 Fitness because I said, you know what? I'm not really getting what I want out of this. So I'm going to see if there's any gyms in the area that I can go and I can work with. At the same time, I got National Academy of Sports Medicine certified. I was doing the certification for 24-hour fitness. I also decided, you know what? If I'm going to be the best trainer, I need to be the most well-rounded trainer. So then I went to the IPPT, which is the Institute Professional Practical Therapy, which is a massage therapy school. Then I started to go and I started to study Pilates and yoga and boxing and nutrition and anything and everything that I can get my hands on, I started. And in, the, and in that year, I started to, I got really lucky because I had met Paul Ogenfold, who is one of my best friends in the whole world. He's a, he's a big G, DJ who lived in London, moved to LA, and his goal was to try to get in as best shape as he could. And I went to a radio show with one of my clients who I'd met at the gym too. His name was Christian B was doing like a Z100 type of 
radio show and I said, listen, buddy, Paul Ogenfold is one of my clients. I said, would you mind introducing me to him and see, you know, just mention on your, on your similar podcast, but radio show, what does he do for fitness and exercise and how can we meet each other and so forth. And so he introduced me to Paul and Paul's agent called me about a week later and said, Hey, you know, Paul really wants to meet you. He really needs a trainer. He's living in LA. And at the time, Paul, you know, I wasn't overweight, but he wasn't in that, in that realm of, I need to get in shape because I'm a traveling DJ. And finally, after going through different interviews and stuff we did together, he's like, listen, I would really love it. If we can do some cardio, we can work on some weight training. And I would like to lose a bit of weight. So if I lose this weight, when I go on tour, I'm going to be able to do the best that I can. And at the same time, you know, meeting Josh Dumel through Christy Pierce, you know, he said, listen, I'm going to do this movie called Win a Date with Ted Hamilton. And so would you like to train for this movie? And I was like, wow, this is pretty cool. You know, I'm already working for about a year, you know, so this is probably like 2000, 2001. You know, I just started my career. Now I met Josh Dumel. You know, I'm working with Paul Ogenfold. And I'm now being introduced to other people. When I did the movie with Win a Date with Todd Hamilton, Josh introduced me to Topher Grace, who introduced me to Anne Hathaway, who introduced me to other people. And I was like, wow. And it really started to grow as far as the celebrities were concerned. But at the same time, I still was working with these overweight women. And so... I thought it was really important for me to diverse myself, and try to work with everybody from all walks of life. So it didn't matter if you were, you know, someone who was sedentary, someone who was overweight, underweight, someone who's a celebrity, everybody is a celebrity. And as far as I'm concerned, because it's all about being the best you, who are you? How can I make you, you? And so as I started to grow, I opened up a gym in 2003 and because it was, working at a different gym that was down the block and it wasn't it wasn't a place that I was able to really give to all my clients without having people all over me because now you're having celebrities come to the gym there's no really private rooms or areas for you to be able to train and a lot of people that were watching the celebrities come in and out in and out the paparazzi coming all the time and people bothering you and so forth and so after I opened up the gym I was there for about six months and I don't know if, how much you know about LA, but I was driving down Santa Monica Boulevard and I was taking right on Overland. And there was this guy on his phone, not paying any attention to anything. He went as fast as he could. And he literally, as I was taking a turn here, he went right through. And so he hit the back of my car. I spun around like this. I hit six cars on the other side of the highway. And it was bad. It was bad. And you know, people talk about Superman or the Hulk or He-Man. And I'm going to say to you, I have never in my life felt as though I had been ever that strong because the fact that I was able to kick open my door and get on to the pavement where I was, I, to this day, I don't know how I did it because the car could have blown up. There were so many things that were going on. And so after I had my car accident, they took me to the hospital. They did all these tests on me, but they never did an MRI on my lower lumbar spine. And so it was about six months, six months, about six weeks later, I had already had a scheduled shoulder surgery. Now let's step back for two seconds. 
during the time that I was in LA from 1998, nine, all the way until about 2003, I was participating in a lot of triathlons. I loved them. And so I bought myself a bicycle and my friend said to me one day, he's like, Hey, would you like to do the escape from Alcatraz triathlon? And I said, well, you're asking me or am I asking you? And he said, why? I said, because you know, I was a swimmer. So for me, yeah, obviously it's going to be a test and something that I'm going to have to work at. I said, but to swim from Alcatraz to shore is probably going to be a lot harder for you than it is for me. Well, let me tell you something. It was one of the most amazing experiences in my life. Don't know if I would ever do it again, just because everybody talks about how there's sharks in, in that water and it's freezing cold and you're wearing a wetsuit and the, the, the currents are about three to five meters high and it gets you. It really gets you. And when I was done with the whole race, I was very proud of myself for completing it and I was able to do really well overall for what I was doing. But the constant swimming after I had done swimming collegiately and nationally, I put a lot of pressure on my shoulder. And so my shoulder tore my labrum. And so I was needing surgery. So after the car accident, I had to do a shoulder surgery from everything that I had put myself through over the years of swimming and sports and tennis and so forth. Long story short, I do this, I do the surgery. I get on surgery. I'm doing rehab. I'm going to different, you know, clinics. I went to a clinic in Beverly Hills and it just wasn't, it just wasn't working for me, you know? And so I started to do my own physical therapy and I had studied physical therapy for many years and through school and so forth. And I said, you know what? I can do my own therapy to make me a better me. I get, I get out of the, I get it out of, you know, the physical therapy, probably like a week or a week after I go to the track, last thing I go to park and I start to do like a walk, run, walk, run. I'm walking and then I'm running and I'm walking and I'm running. I probably did two laps. And then all of a sudden I collapsed to the ground and I couldn't move. I couldn't walk. I couldn't do anything. And I just felt like everything was taken out from under me. I crawled back to my car, called the ambulance, went to the hospital. They did the MRI. They found that I had 40, four herniated discs from my L2 to S1. So that car accident that I had four and a half weeks before literally left me with those herniated discs. But like I said to you, they never did an MRI on my lumbar spine. They did a CAT scan. They did x-rays. They never looked at my lumbar spine from the car accident. Over the next almost year, I had done almost six to eight epidural shots and there's anything you can think of from massage therapy to acupuncture to vaccine tables to anything to try to help me to release the pain in my back. I went back to different physical therapists. They were all the same. Kept pushing on my back, pushing on my back, pushing on my back. I said, listen, I'm not going to work or work out or even do any type of therapy in a place that really doesn't understand therapy. And the the weird part was you're in a therapy office and everybody's doing the same exercise. So if someone has a, you know, a torn knee or, or a twisted ankle, or they just had surgery on their shoulder, it was all the same protocol. And I said, I, I don't work like this. So I started to work with steps and I started to create the JG method. And that's how my method evolved. So I learned not only from before where I would knew that you had to build your exercise programs in your life and your lifestyle and the, and, the, and the regimen for your clients based on what I had said, you know, your body, your body type, your lifestyle, your movement, your motion, your balance, your stability. But now 
you really have to look at the way we move in everyday life. We move in three planes, right? We move anterior, posterior, right lateral, left lateral, right rotation, left rotation. We go up and down stairs. We go in and out of cars. We rotate to pick things up. We, we pick our child up. We use strollers. There's so many things that go into exercise and fitness. And what I don't think people realize is there's a way to train for each and every activity, each and every sport, each and every job, no matter what you are and who you are. And so when I started to create these motions and movements and steps, I started to use my method on my clients. And what I found was is that my clients start to get in better and better and better shape. So yes, I would still been working with those group of celebrities, but at the same time, my method that I had created was now taking it to the next level. And I started to create movement and better opportunities for my clients, for my people. And yes, I was training many clients for movies, so I had to get them in shape for that, but I was also getting the everyday normal people in their own best shape. And so that's how I created my method. And from there, I started to grow. In 2006, I decided that, you know, LA wasn't the place for me anymore. I, was, I trained this woman named Angela Linbaugh, who was a supermodel at the time who needed to get on the Victoria's Secret r runway in November. It was the last show that Giselle did. It was also the show that Justin Timberlake sung at. And, you know, she had just had her second baby. She's like, listen, I need to lose like 30 pounds. She's like, what can we do in four months? I said, listen, you're amazing as an individual already. You're athletic. You eat unbelievably. She was a raw food eater at the time. And she taught me a lot about nutrition at the same time as well. I was also working with Dr. Diodamo, who created the E-Rite for the blood type. So I had all the, you know, antidotes and ingredients to make her the best her. And so for that show, we lost about 30 pounds. She looked amazing. And now I start to get calls from New York City. Hey, you know, would you ever think about coming to New York and training models and so forth? And Angela was with an agency called One Model Management, who was run by Scott Lips, who was also had an agent called Ali. And at the time, they're like, yeah, you know, we would love to have you. We would love to meet you. And would you like to come to New York? And I said, yeah, this is an opportunity for me to come home. And my parents, my dad wasn't feeling re very well. You know, my grandmother and my grandfather weren't alive anymore. And I was like, you know what? Maybe it's time for me to go home. So I went home to New York and Angela was still living in LA and she was going back and forth. And I went to the agency one day and Scott was really nice. And he said, listen, Ali is one of our big agents here. We represent. Candace Swampole, we represent Irina Shayk, we represent NV, we represent a lot of big models. And Scott was like one of my best friends in the whole world who just started doing Pink and Victoria's Secret is Miranda Kerr. And I said, wow. He's like, yeah. He's like, well, how would you like to meet her and work with her? I'm like, this would be amazing. And so it was January of 2006, seven, and it just turned 2000. I moved in November of 2006 and 2007. In January, I met Anne and this other, wo other woman named Linda V and Miranda, and that's how I started. And so when I started to train the models, I decided that for me, myself, it was a different ball game because I was, I was training celebrities and I'm working with models here and there. But the thing is, you still have to build your programs based on the clients, right? And you need to know their bodies. You need to know their lifestyles, study the business. And so what I decided was like, listen, if I'm going to train supermodels for a living, I'm going to create the new size too. Lean, fit, tone in and shape, still look amazing, 
but also be able to fit into the sample sizes of the clothes and also build the programs based on the women, but all a little bit different, each giving them the opportunity to work with anchor weights and hand weights and bands and balls and balance and stability. But everybody's going to train differently and all everyone's going to train based on that. And so I started to go around after I started training these women and literally started going into the agencies, you know, so it was Next and Ford and One Model Management and IMG and DNA. And, and so from me, I was like, you know what, I'm going to show you that supermodels can be in their best shape and that they can look good and feel good. They don't have to take drugs. They don't have to drink alcohol. They don't have to smoke cigarettes. They don't have to do all those things that a lot of them do that is unhealthy to stay in that smaller sample size and look. And because at the time, Kate Moss was a huge supermodel and everybody was like, oh yeah, well, you all have to look like Kate Moss, but Kate Moss is 5'7", and some of these girls are like 5'11", 6 foot. And after the first Victoria's Secret show in 2007, I trained Miranda for the show and Angela again, and they both looked so good. And Miranda especially, because we had trained for like six months super hard and then i just started to flow you know I, I i went to the show in 2008 i was backstage i got to see candace and and at the time and she had walked her first show and i went up to ali her manager said listen i want to train that girl and he's like well why should i give her to you i said because i know that if i have the opportunity opportunity to train her job the best body in the world i said obviously it's a team game and that's the one thing you have to understand personal training it's personal, but it's a team effort. You need to know the person. They need to listen to people's bodies. You need to understand their energies. You need to look at who they are and what makes them the best in their own specific body. Some days your clients will come in and they're a little bit tired. That's why you have Pilates. They come in and they're a little bit tight. That's why you have a foam roller and stretching. They come in and they have lots of energy. That's why you can do boxing or you can do a little bit harder functional training or a little bit more weights or so forth. So that's how you create programs. And each and every time that I would train an individual, I would start to grow. And then after I met Candace, I met Irina, and then my career started to take off, you know? And for me, it was all about not necessarily the guy, even though I was called, you know, the model whisperer or the celebrity Victoria's Secret trainer, whatever it was. For me, it was just about understanding the individuals and making them the best they can be. And then as I started to grow in my career, I recognize that exercise and fitness is not only individualized, but it's something that's going to grow and spread and be where it is. So I opened up a gym at the time called Model Fit, which was basically a gym for people to go and do group classes. And at the time, there was Tracy Anderson, Barry's Bootcamp, Soul Cycle, and Flywheel. That was it. There was no other, there was a, no other boutique style gyms. And at the time, you know, I was training all these big models and then I called it model fit for a reason. It's, I have a model, be the best that you can be with the body that you yourself have been given because everybody is different and everybody's different. So what's good for one is not necessarily good for the next. So if you go and you look at yourself in a mirror, you can be a model in your own body because you're looking at yourself and you want to create your own model in your own self. Unfortunately, you know, being in that, being in that state, you know, people are like, oh, you train models for a living. Yeah, I do. But it's not a gym for models. It's a gym for people to come to feel beautiful and sexy and so forth. And New York, as you may know, is a big area of not only for models, but for competition. 
women always want to look their best, be their best. And so I was able to recruit a lot of, you know, young, hungry, empowered women who had their own businesses and really were looking to be the fittest and the best. And then I also had women that were coming from all over the world to just visit the gym and to get into shape. And it, it was something that I had for, for two years and we had some little differences in what was going on. But at the time, I was still going through what I had gone through with my car accident. So backtrack for two seconds. In 2012, the person I was dating, we went to a party in Brazil. I couldn't walk after the party and wasn't sure why. And we discovered that I had a little piece of my sciatic nerve. There was a little bone that was attached to my sciatic nerve that had cracked off. And so I was getting really bad sciatic pain. So I went home, had a surgery in New York. Surgery wasn't successful. Met the doctor that I, 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 Dr. Jonas Lenzi is literally my savior. He's is the doctor who has done, I've done six back surgeries. He's the one who really created movement and better movement for me. During the time that I was on Model Fit, I was literally working 60, 70, 80, 90 hours a week, just working, working, work, working, work, working, work. And my body couldn't handle it. So during the time that I was at Model Fit, I did three surgeries in itself on top of the one that I told you about. I had already done a, a, sh a shoulder surgery. I had an umbilical hernia that I got from the stress of the first surgery and my car accident. I had a surgery on my stomach. And, you know, things happen for a reason, right? If I would have been able to be healthier, I probably could have stuck through the Model Fit gym and continued what I was doing. But when I left Model Fit in 2015-16, I finally did a major back surgery where you put clips in my back so I could have movement. So you can do, you know, and at the time, you know, I'd take four months off of work. You know, and it was really hard and it was really frustrating. And it was very, very disempowering to know that every single time you reach a certain level, you have to stop and start again, stop, start again and do your rehab. But I say this to people all the time. My method saved my life. And I'm very humble about my work and what I do and how I am. And if I hadn't created my method and I hadn't done or, and, and learned so much about fitness and health and science and exercise, and I had gone to the institute called the Gray Institute, which is an institute out in Michigan where my mentors taught me all about the science of the body. Even though I knew some of it, I didn't know a lot of it. And it gave me the opportunity to learn so much about what exercise and health and fitness is through the science of movement. And so all these things put together really saved me and gave me the opportunity to be who I am. And, you know, it's, it's hard because. After that, you know, I discovered that I had in my left leg, my femur bone was rubbing bone to bone. And then so in 2016, 17, after I had the major back surgery, I found out that unfortunately I had torn my labrum and my hip and that I was going to have to put a prosthetic in my leg. So in my left leg, I have prosthetic, knock on wood, I walk really well. But again, my method gave me the opportunity to be who I am today. And because of the opportunity, not only from the Gray Institute and Gary Gray and Dave Tiberio and all these other, you know, and Doug and his, his son, it, it, it just giving me so much life and love and attention and teaching me so much about the science of the body and movement, you know, and then Brad Gray is, is 
his son as well, who's an incredible speaker. And I really started to love to do motivational speaking and do my own little podcast stuff and, and really teach people about who they are. And just all these experiences together is what made me who I am today. So I know a lot of people always wonder, oh, yeah, well, you know, I know Justin, he's, you know, a celebrity trainer or he trained a million supermodels or something, you know, but at the end of the day, as I grow through even my app, it's all about teaching people movement. The more you know about yourself, the better you're going to be. The less you know about yourself, the harder it's going to be. And the problem is, is we have so many people out there today that have the antidotes, right? And the ingredients and, and the special programs and the special methods. And, you know, you have your CrossFits and you have your Soul Cycles and you have, you know, all these new gyms that are coming out with everybody trying to change fitness and exercise by what they think is best. But the only thing way you're going to be able to do that is to know who your client is and know who the people are you're working with. And understanding that if you're going to create a class, so if you have a class of 25 people and 25 people come into your class, you need to be able to look at that class through a, a functional warm up and say, okay, so I can feel the energy of the class. I see the movement of the class. I understand who's in my class. Maybe it's the same people that are coming. Maybe it's not. And I'm going to create a class today based on the people in the class, not have a piece of paper writing down. Okay, well, today we're going to do 12 burpees, 14 squats, 10 lunges, and, you know, sled pulls. And then we're going to start that routine over again. And we're going to do that four times. I mean, first of all, when you're doing exercise, you're never sedentary, right? So for someone to stand there and do bicep curls and chest presses and so forth, okay, guys need to do bench press. Yes, because if they want to grow their chest and they want to be stronger, bench press is, is one thing that I have to say. You can't really get away with it if you want to really build your chest. But if you're trying to do movement and exercise, if you look at, if you go to pick something up and bring it back in, that's already a bicep curl. If you go to push something down and push something up, you're that's also using your triceps. If you're lifting in something and putting up on the shelf and bringing it back down, that's a shoulder press. You know, if you're pushing something forward and pushing something and pulling something back, that's also your chest press. There's so many things that you can look at everyday life we already do these movements. So it's how can you create a way of doing exercise where you're adapting the everyday movement and lifestyle to people and to make them their best. And most trainers don't know how to do that because everybody wants to be famous. Everybody wants to have an Instagram. Everybody wants to have that luxury of saying, I worked with this person. I got famous for this and that. But at the end of the day, it has nothing to do with that because if you really can't create movement and programs for people, how are you going to be able to turn around and say that you were successful in your work? Because what did you actually really do? What? You, because you worked with a Kim Kardashian, you worked with, you know, whatever type of celebrity there is out there. That means that you're a great trainer. No. Trainers are somebody who really understands people, really understands the characteristics behind people, really understand the, 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 the movement of science behind why somebody is who they are who they are. And if somebody is injured or has a health condition or a lifestyle deficiency, how can you create a training program for them? Because the healthy people is easy, but if you have to build somebody's body back and get back on the ro road to recovery, you need to have that background. You need to know how to do physical therapy aspect because most physical therapists today don't even know what they're doing either because they went to school and they learned a protocol. You know, when you walk, what flexes your knee when you're moving? Right. If you ask that question to most physical therapists, they'll say, well, your hamstring flexors your knee. No, it doesn't. It's your soleus. So your calf is what's flexing your knee. And so and that's through movement. And when 
you lay on a table and you push somebody's leg back. If you look at the NFL football players today, and it, it's hard because I've worked with a couple of them before, you know, right before they start a game, if you go watch the game early, somebody's pushing their leg back to the side and over and, you know, doing those, those, those warm down static stretches that you would use when you're warming your body down. When you're going to play a sport, you need to warm your body up. If you're going to do a stretch, it needs to be a functional stretch. Because why would I warm your body down when you're going to get on the field and run and put in an hour and a half to four hours of your time exercising and moving and not getting the proper warm-up to your body? You know Why isn't that all these trainers think that if you can leg press 400 pounds, yeah, it's good if you're going to push the offensive and defensive line in football or rugby, but at the same time, you also move laterally. You also move rotationally. So if I'm going to push you in a direction that your knee is not happy with, you're going to tear your ACL or your MCL, or you're going to twist your ankle, or you're going to tear your meniscus. Why does that happen? Because you didn't train properly. You didn't train to balance and stabilize your body when a 340-pound guy is moving a 250-pound guy. So exercise is, has become, unfortunately, in this day and age, a fad. You know, everybody wants to be a trainer. Everybody wants to be famous. Everybody's an influencer. You know, and I don't like, like I said, sometimes I don't like to mention names and talk about certain things because for me, I would be the number one influencer if I was talking about exercise and health and fitness than any other health and fitness influencer out there because most of them did what to become that influencer? What, because they have 150 or 250 or 300,000 followers? Did they buy them? Did their daddy buy them? How did they get even into that? You know, and then you talk to somebody like me who's literally studied the body and has a career for 25 years and still I'm at 27,000 followers because I never used any of those clients. When I trained Taylor Swift for her tour, we trained for two years together, you know, and we trained so hard and so well. And she's one of the most empowered women I've ever met. And she really, really put her focus and her time and her energy and worked so hard. But I never asked her for a photo. I never said, hey, let's do an Instagram. Now, what happens if I did it? I probably have two, three million followers by now, you know, because at the time for me and still to this day, yeah, I do it and I use it to help me, but it's something that I feel like it's, it's an advantage and a disadvantage because the advantage is, you know, if people use Instagram to get famous or to become somebody, yeah, it may help them get different, you know, how would you say? It, it gives them a different image than, than some. It frustrates because there's people out there that are getting the endorsements and getting the interviews on television and have all these amazing things and apps that are selling, you know, millions of dollars worth, but none of it is real. And none of it is based on people's bodies, understanding the body, doing interviews and understanding what is going to be the proper health and fitness and wellness advice that you're giving to clients, it's all the same protocols. It's all the same exercise, all the same stuff. And it's really sad because when I was doing and creating my career and, and, and creating my method, it, everything was always about the passion for people, knowing people, whether you are underweight, overweight. I train people, like I said, from all walks of life, whether it's working with adolescents or kids, working out with someone who has autism, or Down syndrome, or someone who I worked with the Paralympic team for, you know, Brazil for swimming, 
who are in a wheelchair, have you know, one arm, one leg, whatever it may be. And it's just like, these people empower you. These people give you the energy. These people give me the love and affection, attention I need to get up every day. So the more I can help people, the more I can give love and more I can teach people movement and help them be the best that they can be, which is why I created an app, was to be able to reach the public. But it seems that everybody in the public thinks that you can get in shape in one day, one week, one month, one year, and that's not possible. I always use Serena Williams as an example because Serena Williams to me is someone who I've always loved and, and followed and watched her training and her movement and so forth. And she never really reached the training or the level that I thought she could ever reach. And I don't want to bash on other trainers or other therapists or whoever I've worked, but this is a woman that was God's giving gift to the world, who's so smart, so strong, so elusive, but to me, never trained properly to get to where her level is. And yes, she's the top of the top of the top. But for me, I'm like, you know what? If I would have trained her, she would have won 35, 40 grand slams instead of winning 23 grand slams because she never trained the way that she sh supposedly should have trained. And that's not the, and I don't like to put blame, but there's so many athletes out there that I see that are at the top level that towards the end of their careers, they have injuries or they have problems with their body or they never reach that level that they need to be. And the reason why is because there, you know, there's some trainers that train CrossFit for swimming. Missy Franklin is a perfect example. Loved her, amazing swimmer, really, really knew her body, but also followed the wrong protocols when it came to going to the Olympics in 2016. If you were looking at her videos and her photos, she's training CrossFit for swimming. So when she was in the water, you're winning in 2012, you're winning, you know, the 200 back, you have the world record, so forth. And then you get to the Olympics in 2016, Ryan, Ryan Lochte, it's the same thing. And they're like pushing tires and throwing, you know, big medicine balls and so forth. And it's weighing you down in the pool. When you're in the pool, you need to be buoyant. You need to feel long and lean and toned and fit and healthy. And I don't want to take away from, from who they are as people, but it's just like when you're growing up and, and watching all these athletes struggle in certain ways, or now I watch, I love football, meaning soccer. I love soccer. I'm a big Chelsea fan. I watch football all the time, but there's a lot of my teammates right now on the Chelsea team that are injured. You know, the goalie Ocante hurt his hamstring. Reese James hurt his knee. You know, Raheem Sterling just hurt his hamstring and all these injuries are coming because the training that they're doing is not the proper training. They're not training for the sport of soccer. They're not training for the sport of tennis. They're not training for the sport of swimming. You know, and I'm giving you these examples not to pick on these people. These are people that empower me and, and, and literally inspire me in their work. But it's very uninspiring to watch all these trainers giving them the exercises and the regimens and the stuff for them to do in order to reach the top level. And they can't reach that top level because of why? Because they're not training properly. And so that's become something in exercise and fitness today that's not really looked at. You know, it's the same training. It's the same movements. It's the same exercise. I mean, when are people going to realize that burpees and walking lunges and jump squats and putting a huge bar on your, on your body and doing pelvic thrusts and, you know, putting heavy weights on your ankles and doing leg, leg swings for your butt. I mean, when are people going to realize that none of this works? It doesn't work. Because I was in a gym one day in Brazil and there was like three women training and they had literally 
four kilo weights on each leg. Another one had five kilo in each leg. Another one had seven or eight kilo in each leg. And they were literally swinging their leg up and down and up and down and up and down. I couldn't watch it anymore. And I went over them and I speak Portuguese fluently now. And I went over there. I said, excuse me, can I ask you a question? Why are you doing this? And why do you think that you're getting anything out of this? And you see your friends complaining her back hurts because she likes swinging her legs up and down. I said, do me a favor. I will make a bet with you. All of you take your weights off and put on one kilo or two kilos. One kilo? I'm not putting out one kilo. Okay, put two kilos. I said, and I will give you four exercises right now that you can do with your butt. And I promise you, by the time you hit 10, you will feel more than you did with any of those three, four, five, six, eight kilo weights. I said, if I do, I win. And if you do, I'll, I'll buy you lunch or whatever. I was like, I'm not asking. I'm not hitting on you. I'm not asking you to go out or, or have a date or anything like that. I just want to prove to you something that this is my work and something that I do and something that I have a passion for and something I know that I'm right. So I made them all take off the weights. After three and a half sets, two of them couldn't lift their leg even up and down anymore. And the other one was like, oh my God, I have never in my whole life felt my butt more than this. I'm like, see, I said, why did I do that? It's because number one, I don't want you to get to watch you get hurt. And number two, there's a way and a form and a posture or resistance to do the exercise properly. But because there's so many businesses today and i.e. there's a big business in New York and I won't mention the name because I don't like to put down, but they've trained many models and many celebrities and so forth. And it's like a CrossFit style exercise gym. I've never seen anybody get in shape from them ever, ever, ever. And they offer all the girls free training, this and that. And it just never saw results. Now, there's going to be about two or 3% of them that are going to get in shape. Yeah, because they have natural gymnastic or ballet or sport-related bodies that they're going to get in shape like this, but those are the one, two, three percenters. And there's a lot of people that do CrossFit that get in shape. But I always tell the story. My friend owned a CrossFit gym in Los Angeles, and I went one day and I said to him, I said, listen, I want to do a CrossFit class. And he's like, what? I'm like, yeah, I want to teach your class one day. He's like, no way, Jose, you're going to come teach my class. I said, why? He's like, because no one will ever take my class again. I'm like, oh. He's like, I'm like, please. So what did I do? I split everybody up in groups. And instead of having people jumping on like a box this high, I, they had stairs, you know, like, you know, the stair that you step up and down on. And so I said, listen, I'm going to have all the people jump on the floor or jump from the floor onto the stair. And I had all these people and I built them foundationally in the class. Instead of lifting that big, heavy bar, I just had to take five pounds, some take eight pounds, some 10 pounds. You know, throwing the medicine balls, they started with three, three kilos or four kilos instead of eight kilos. And when the class was done, everybody started clapping. They're like, this is the best class I ever did. I feel so strong and I feel like I could do CrossFit properly. And, I'm, you know, they throw the ball on the, down, on the ground, except they're throwing the ball on the ground with three kilos, not with eight kilos. You know, and, and it's just, and my friend's like, see, I told you I don't want you to teach my class anymore because everybody came the last time. And they're like, I don't want to take your class I said, this was never done on purpose. This was done to show you that there's an absolute positive way to teach a CrossFit class. It wasn't because I know more than you or I am better than you. It's me being able to show you that there's other ways to do other types of movements and exercise without killing people. When people go to the gym, they go to the gym to feel good, to get in shape, to look good. They don't go to the gym to get hurt. They don't go to the gym 
to exercise and feel like when they go home that they have to go to sleep or that they have to put on, you know, uh, a cream or a lotion, you know, that, you know, like a icy hot or whatever it may be, or like a back patch or whatever it may be, just because they're injured. And a lot of people relate exercise. Oh, I couldn't walk up the stairs today, or I couldn't sit on the toilet, or I couldn't put my shoes on, thinking that that's like proper or that works. It doesn't work. It doesn't make you look good or feel good. You have to look at who you are and how are we going to make you better in your body. And if you want to adopt to exercise, it's yoga is another example. You want to be good in yoga? Understand the yoga. Don't go to yoga class that you can't do the stretches or that you've never stretched properly before because you're going to get hurt. And then it's the same thing for the instructor to teach the person how to do the yoga properly. Because I said to people all the time, yoga is one of the most impossible types of functional stretch that you can do if you don't understand it. Or if you have an instructor that's pushing you into a position. Duh, hello. You're going to push one of, one of my partners from my app. His mother went to take a, a yoga class. And she went down into a position. I guess the instructor pushed her back down. She had, she had to go to the hospital. She was in the hospital for seven days. She's a 72-year-old woman. Yeah, because she never did yoga before like this. And the person did something they shouldn't do. They pushed the woman into a position. They had her doing a stretch that she couldn't handle. And it's just been incredibly frustrating, you know, for somebody who's going to a class to enjoy themselves and come out injured. And so that's, you know... That's the responsibility of the instructor, but it's also the responsibility of the people. You know, I, I, I work out when I'm in New York, I have still an apartment there. And when I'm in my apartment, there's, there's a couple of trainers in there that have training with their clients there. And these women get literally destroyed. They're doing like crazy jumps and little runs and using heavy weights and doing all these awkward planks. And like, what are these people doing? And there's no fluid. There's no fluency to the movement. There's no fluency to the program. It's like, first you're on the mat, then you stand up, then you're on the machine, then you go to the ground, then you stand up, then you're on the machine, then you're on the machine, then you're running. I mean, where's your, where's your creativity? Where's your movement built from? Where's the foundation built from? How did you, how did you create that program? You know, and when people look at exercise and fitness and health, you have to look at the programs in itself, but how are you creating these programs? Who's making these programs for you? And so, that's why, you know, I love talking and I love doing these types of podcasts and really trying to let people understand that if you want to be in fitness and health and wellness and you want to get into exercise and you want to be a trainer, you need to learn all the basics about how to be a trainer. You need to understand the foundation to people's bodies. You need to understand who you're working with, what's your audience, what you're dealing with, feeling people's energies, feeling people's mindsets and understanding how to incorporate spirituality and stretching and breathing and meditation and all these great things into the workout in itself. Because the more the mind-brain-body connection of you and your client, your client and, and, and themselves, the better the client is going to be. And if you're, if you're able to do that, that's where you become successful. But it's not a one-size-fits-all it's not how can I get in shape the fastest. It's not that can I get in shape in one week, one month, or even one year. It's, it's a process. And if it took Serena Williams 14 and a half years to win her first Grand Slam at 17 and a half years old, how the hell are you going to tell me that you can get in shape in 14 weeks? How they have billion dollars worth of books of how you can get in shape and how you can lose weight and how you can do this. 
If you lose weight in six weeks, you don't think you're going to put the weight right back on. Of course you are. Right. So that's, that's how it is. And so, you know, and so you have to really look at, to really look at the people in itself and how they are created and where do they come from and, and what's their genetics and what's their blood type and all these kinds of things. And once you have all that, that's how you can succeed in health, fitness and wealth. And there you go. I love that. That was amazing. And I'm curious, you train people from all kinds of backgrounds and the key theme that I'm hearing here from your whole journey is the whole personalization. You think a lot about your clients and how to tailor programs towards them. I'm curious, within all of your training aspects, whether it's athletes or whether it's models or whether it's actors, do you have any foundational movements from your method that are like no question everyone has to perform these movements? The warm-up, for sure. Everything that I do as far as the warm-up, most of the balance and stability exercises, the foam roller exercises, 100%. Stretching is imperative to exercise. Mm -hmm. I say this to people all the time. And I can tell you about 97% of the people you know, maybe more, do not stretch. And not stretch like stick your leg up in the air, stand up and put your arm behind your head. Yeah, you can do those because I do those too a little bit. But I'm talking about when you're done with a class or before you finish your class, you know, if you have to leave five minutes early or 10 minutes early, you need to stretch and you need to get on a foam roller and do a myofascial release. And for me, I tell people, if you do a foam roller stretch that I've created and you do it every day, twice a day, once in the morning when you wake up and, 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 or, or after you eat breakfast or whatever it is, and once a night before you go to bed, you will be injury-free and pain-free. The most people that get injured is because they don't stretch, they rush, they rush, they rush, they rush. Form, posture, and resistance. You must feel the exercise. If you're training for a sport, you will train differently than you will for everyday training, but you need to feel the movement. When you're building the foundation to your body, you need to feel the movement and understand the movement. So if I'm doing something, the ground is your friend and the feet are the foundation to your body. So when you're moving, you need to feel your feet when you walk. That's why a lot of times I'm doing workouts barefoot because I want people to feel their feet because a lot of people use the shoes or use whatever they're doing, you know, whatever type of shoes they may be wearing as something to work themselves out. But if you can't actually feel your feet and understand how your body can grasp the ground and the movements and the exercise, there's no way for you to be successful. It, it's literally stretching, 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 feeling, understanding, and moving because it, it is all individualized. You can create a program for people in a class, in a class atmosphere and so forth. But at the end of the day, it's all individualized. And so that's where I think people go wrong because yes, my app is for everyone, but once I start to build the exercises and build the, the routines, it's for people to do the rotations and do the motions and movements. And each and every individual that does it, because of the way I do it, will always have a different stance, will always have a different movement, will always have a different sit or lunge or squat or push or pull because everything is based on their body. So it's not something that you're going to sit there and you're not sedentary when you're moving and you're doing something that's built best for you. Definitely. That makes a lot of sense. And I'm curious, when you create your programs for your models and how do you kind of think of the specific needs and goals of your model clients and what kind of exercises do you find that are really effective for your model clients? I would say most of the clients model-wise that do a lot of Pilates and a lot of functional movement, a lot of balance and stabilization, but I also look, work on 
different rotations and twisting and turning because most of them, when they're working, they're twisting, they're turning, they're in crazy different poses. So they, you know, and they have to feel that strength and ability that when they're walking, that's why I use a slant board. I built the slant board because women are on heels. So when women wear heels, they're in this position all the time, which is plantar flexion position. So if I can strengthen your body on the slant board, I'm able to strengthen your knees and your, and your smaller muscles so that when you are on your heel, you're able to continually work and not feel pain. Not feel pain in your hip, your knee, your ankle, your lower back, your shoulders, because everything's connected. It's all a chain reaction. So when I'm, when I'm creating movement and exercise for them, I'm building things based on the slant board, balance and stability, on posing, on where they would have to be if they're in posing positions. And Pilates, because you want to feel long and lean and toned and, and all, you, you want to feel open. And that's what the stretching does. The stretching opens up your body, allows you to feel elastic, allows you to feel supple. And that's what's successful for everybody. Mm -hmm. Definitely. That makes a lot of sense. And I'm curious, what are some common misconceptions about the fitness habits and models? And how do you help your clients kind of overcome those misconceptions? I think the misconception is, is that all these women are genetically gifted. Yeah. If you're six foot one, you have good genetics, but not every six foot, six foot one woman is in perfect shape, you know, and everybody has this, you know, pre preconception that they all drink and they all do drugs and they all starve themselves. The girls that I work with all eat and I really push the nutrition and I really push the nutritional aspect behind of how can you stay healthy through eating properly? You know, having your, having your meals, feeling good, not eating too much, not eating too little. And then also feeling that, you know, you have to build nutrition is so individualized as well. That's another thing. That's why I work with he right for your blood type because Dr. Diodamo and I have worked together for many years and it's all about how you eat properly. Shana Taylor is one of my best friends in the whole world. She's a, a really unbelievable cook. And she's really versed in nutrition. And it's the thing is, is that when you're making your recipes or you're making your nutritional guidance plan, you need to look at how your days are and what you do and when you can eat and how you can eat and when you should eat and when you shouldn't eat. And each of that is individualized because I don't know your agenda. I don't know your schedule. So how can you build, you know, I talk about this with people too. You know, when I was working with a lot of the models, they would go to certain nutritionists. Nutritionists would give them a whole list of food and like a big, you know, regimen of what they need to do. And then you, you go and each model had the same exact thing. Well, eat right for your blood type. You have your O, your A, your AB, and your B, right? And so it's just like, how can you tell somebody if someone's an A and someone's an O, it's going to be different between an A, B, and a B, right? And so exercise and fitness is also built on your blood types. So all A's are people that are more apt to gaining weight. So more physical-wise, you would do more Pilates and more yoga, more stretching, more meditation, more O's are really rigorous people. They love, they're meat eaters. They love to like work out super hard. But that's also, if you have a model that's an O and they're really athletic, it's really easy for them to gain a lot of muscle and get bigger in certain areas. So if you're being, if you're a model and you're, you're working at certain times, you're not allowed to have that kind of muscle on your body, or you can't have that look on you or somebody that's a B 
you know, and an AB, it's a little bit mixture between vigorous exercise and stretching and elongating. And so you have to look at how people eat. And that's why Dr. Diodamo built a list of foods. You have your beneficial foods, your neutral foods, and your non-beneficial foods. And he always says, if you do things 70-30, you're going to be able to have that success. But you still need to have your burger and your ice cream and your fries and your pizza and your stuff once in a while. Because if you don't eat that, then you're going to do something what I call binging. And so many people binge in this world because they don't go and they eat to something that they like once or twice or two times a week. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh yeah, I'm going to go. And then there's a pizza party and they have like eight slices of pizza because they haven't had pizza in a year, you know, or they haven't had a burger and they go to a place and they have this big giant double hamburger with everything on it because they haven't eaten the hamburger in six months and they've been craving and craving and craving it. Your body will tell you when you don't want it and your body will tell you when you do. And if you do everything, I always have something called the three M's, moderation, motivation, and movement. If you do everything in moderation, it gives you the opportunity to be successful. Movement, you need to do every single day. So exercising seven days a week is okay. It's just you need to look at what you're doing. So you can do a walk or a run or a hike or a bike and also do a class. And you also need a couple of days that you rest. But during those days of rest, you should still walk. You should still do something active. And moderation, you have what you're doing. Your motivation is the motivation behind the moderation, the motivation, the movement. So if you're motivating yourself to move and you're also motivating yourself to stay moderate in what you're doing, there's no, there's no way to lose. So it, it's, you know, when you're giving advice to people and especially models, you're giving advice to them and say, listen, we're going to build something that's built for you because we need to know your schedule. Are you traveling all the time? Are you doing work here and there? Are you a high fashion model? Are you a commercial model? Are you doing catalog modeling? Every different type of model has something different. Every photographer is different. And that's the thing that made me so successful is I studied the photographers. So I studied, you know, the Mary Sorrentis and Mary Tostinos and Stephen Mizells. And, you know, I just look at their work and what they did and how they shot. And Peter Lindbergh and Patrick Machier, all these big celebrity photographers you know, have their way of shooting. And once you look at the way they shoot and what they're expecting from the women, they can create programs based on that. But most trainers that train models, they never looked at the model for a model. Like, yeah, I'm training a supermodel and I'm going to do this, 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 this. And I'm going to make, there's no one who's trained more supermodels in the world than me because I always looked at it as a business, not for the, for the training an actual supermodel or a model, but training models as a business for them to learn how to be better eaters and better speakers and better lifestyle keepers and being able to really adapt their body and their life and their lifestyle to their profession. But that's it. There's still wonderful, beautiful people at the end of the day. Candace is still Candace. Irina is still Irina. It's just what their job is. And a lot of people have that preconception that they're given so much. People also think that they go and just take pictures. Yeah, okay. You try to be on the set for 14 hours a day just taking pictures. So... It's one of those things that, again, people really look at life and lifestyle, but they don't really understand the people. Definitely. And I've never heard anything about the blood types and eating exercise. That's fascinating. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Like how each blood type would look in like, or let's say they're like type A. How would that look for like exercise and like how would that look for nutrition? Can we just do all of the blood so, types? So, so like A, A is built on, you know, fruits and vegetables, you know, and different you know, style of training, the style of training is based on, 
you know, how and, and, and you can create movement through stretching and elongating and meditation and mind, brain, body connection. A lot of my clients are A's and that's why I've been able to be successful. And O is really vigorous exercise, more of a meat eater, you know, not really into like the pastas and the, and the grains and so forth. I have, it's really easy for, for O's to, to gain weight in their stomach or to feel bloated from eating foods that they're not supposed to eat, which is like I said, grains and, you know, pastas and rices and so forth. B's and AB's are similar. They're, they're a mixture of an A. So they have more like fruits and vegetables and fishes. It's just mo mostly A's, B's and B's stay away from like meat, right? There's not really any blood type that really goes with meat. But A, B's, and B's can eat a little bit more yogurt, cheese, and, and a little bit more dairy. I'm not saying you should go and have full, full like, you know, whole milks and stuff like that. But they can adapt a little bit better. And, you know, it's just a mixture of the two. And like I said, B and A, B are, are exercise-wise a mixture between vigorous exercise and, and just stretching and elongating. So when you're looking at the energies of the people, you're really able to see how people can that's why I said you need to understand people's energy. Are they in a bad mood? Are they in a happy mood? Are, how do they have a fight with their significant other or at their business or at their work or, you know, what's going on with them at home? And once you understand the people and when they come in to see you, you can really give them the guidance plans that they need in order for them to create better life and lifestyle for themselves based on what the energy is. So the days that they come in that they're not doing so well, you can do more you know, elongating and stretching and Pilates and yoga and so forth. When they come in with a little bit more energy, you can do a little bit more towards boxing and cardio and harder functional movement. But again, you just have to look at who, who the people are and how to make them better. Mm -hmm. Definitely. That makes a lot of sense. And I'm curious for your actors, how would you think about training and nutrition for your actors? Similar, similar thing, because actors is a lot different. Actors can go three different directions. You know, one, one could be that they're filming a, a role where they have to be on the really, really lean side. So you're taking away their salts and their sugars and their fats, you know, and you're looking at how they can get their, their fats naturally or how they can eat, you know, a lot more lean with their food. Someone that needs to gain weight, you know, it's not eating the pizza and the burger and the fries just to gain weight. It's, how can we give them food more portion sizes built on what they're doing and how they're doing throughout that day? Because a lot of actors can be sitting on a set all day and they don't work except for four or five hours or they start really early in the morning and they're working all day. Like TV shows, they don't stop. They just go, 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 go. Whereas an actor in a movie can be on set at six in the morning and their first shot is at 12 or their first shot's at three or they have night shoots. You know, so that's another thing, too. If you're someone who's shooting at night, you need to be able to have food at night. You need to be able to eat. You need to be able to be active because your brain needs to be able to go. And if you don't have the fuel, which is food is your energy source. So if you don't have the fuel for your brain, how are you going to be able to learn your lines and go over the scripts and do the things and stay awake properly where you're just not drinking soda and coffee and you know, doing whatever you need to do to stay awake, you know? And so you have to just look at the roles of the people. Once you know the role of the person and what they're looking to do, then you create their nutrition by that. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. And let's just say, for example, like actor A was going towards 
like a superhero looking role. What would you kind of think of it like that? Like, how would you think about building that lean muscle and looking like that superhero? Like, I mean, if you're doing that, then you're mixing, you're mixing boxing, your cardio and Pilates, functional movement. And, but again, you still have to look at the person. Yeah. So we can, we, I, here's the thing. And this is the hardest thing about doing an interview. And, and one thing that I say to people, me and you can talk and give advice all you want, but everybody's looking for that secret ingredient. But unless you know the exact person you're working with, you can't really give that advice. Because right. for me to say that it's going to work on you, maybe not be the same way that works on Leo, or it may not be the same that, I, that it works on you know a Ben Stiller or works on a Jason Statham. I'm just naming people in, in business. And those are three people that are in totally different areas. You right. know, someone that like The Rock, you know, is going to be, way way different you know to you know, somebody who's you know nice and lean and tone and you know so you have to not that not that the rock isn't fit but there's a big difference between someone who's looking Topher grace and and the rock are totally different people so That's... how you, how Topher grace would eat and how the rock would eat are totally different you know what i'm saying because right. the rock can eat maybe six eight thousand calories and Topher probably can eat the same amount, but he does not want to eat that much food. So for him to gain muscle, you may want to give him a little bit more protein or a little bit more carbohydrates through vegetables and stuff like that. But then at the same time, you have to look at the exercise he's doing. Depends what his look is, right? Mm -hmm. If the rock needs to be on the leaner side, maybe take out a lot of the, the heavy exercise or, or the protein shakes or stuff like that. It's going to build the muscle and keep it on because he needs to be on the leaner side. And if he needs to be on the bigger side, you might be adding more protein shakes or more protein or whatever. But that's the thing. It's like you have to look at the individual. And I think that's where everybody goes wrong. Exercise, nutrition, health, it's all related to the individual. And so it, it, I can see here and try to give advice for every single person. I could do that if I have the person in front of me. But for me to say that my advice is going to work for you, is going to work for someone else. You can't say that because you don't know how the person, every day our body changes. Every day, our mind changes. Every day in life, we do something different. Definitely. That makes a lot of sense. And I'm curious, when you intake a new client, right, and you're thinking about them, like, how do I get them from, like, A to B, like, whatever their goal is, what are some things you kind of ask them about that kind of give you that trainer's mind to think about? I do a body analysis when I first start training. So I have the gotcha. people walk. I watch the way they move, the way they balance, the way they stabilize, the way they stretch, the way they lift, the way they pull, the way they push, the way I talk about their nutrition, their cardio, who they are, what they do, how they do, everything about their everyday lifestyle is yeah. something that needs to be done in order for you to be able to understand your clients. So when I meet the person for the first time, I want to know who you are. I want to know everything about you, your past exercise experiences, your past trainers, your injuries, your health condition, your lifestyle deficiencies, the way you eat, what you do on a daily basis. Are you sedentary? Do you eat? Do you sleep at different times? Do you stretch? Do not stretch? Are you in a plane, a train, a car? Anything and everything I know, the more I know about you, the better I can build. Mm -hmm. Definitely. That's fascinating. And one thing that I'd like to share is something interesting that I've come about recently is how if you look at someone walking, you could get so much from a trainer's mind thinking about how that translates in their athletic movements and how, you know, they could think about injuries in the future. And it's wild. And you probably know a lot more about that than me, but isn't it fascinating just how you could look at something? No, that's, that's, that's how I do all my bases, how people mm -hmm. move. I take people's 
shoes and socks off and I do a two session, one hour and 15 to one hour and a half, you know, twice. Yeah, it's a little bit of money because I charge a good amount of money for it because it's a lot of work. But out of those two sessions of a workout for one session and the body analysis and a half a workout in the other session, I'm literally able to create an entire six-month, year, two-year, five-year program where everything will always change. But without that body now, since I can't do it, I make every single client I know, doesn't matter what walk of life they are, who they are, they have to do it. If they don't do it, then I won't train them. And some of them get upset because they're like, oh, that's a lot of money. I said, listen, I have people that come to me that just do the body analysis and don't train because they say they can't afford it. But during those five hours, I give them so much and I teach them so much that it's all filmed and it's all homework related and they can go home and do what they need to do to get in better shape, right? And they can use those movements and exercises and foam roller stretches and warm up and everything to do what they need to do because for me to just train you, I will never do it. And I say this to people all the time. You came to me and said, hey, let's work out. Yeah, of course. If somebody invites a friend to go work out with one of my clients, I'll never say no. But other than that, no. Other than that, I'm always, always, always having you know, someone do a body analysis to teach them about them. Because other than that, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Definitely. The actors, celebrities, they have really demanding travel schedules, work schedules. And I think so do yourself. How do you, you as yourself, you know, maintain your fitness lifestyle while having a busy schedule? And how does that also look like for your athletes and your actors and your models? Okay. Me, I have probably like 14 clients that I train on a weekly basis. It, it goes back and forth, but there's probably three or four clients that I train that I work out with. Yeah. Doing it because they're still learning the movements and the exercise. And some I just work out with them. I have this girl, Julia, that I train who's in a lot of my videos. Me and her do three days a week. We train each workout I do with her. I have another girl, Isabel, who lives in Florida, who has her own clothing brand. Me and her work out together. And then I'm doing my own lives through my platform. So, me, to be honest with you, today was my day off, kind of. But like tomorrow I'm doing a live Monday. I have, you know, Julia and Isabel Tuesday. I have, you know, Isabel Wednesday. I have Julia. So each and every day I would say I'm doing my own method with them. And as far as my own clients are concerned that are traveling all the time, I try to do as much of the online training, but that's also why I built the app so that they can do 15, 30, 45 minute workouts and exercises so that they feel good with themselves because that's the way for you to be successful. Everybody puts, a time on exercises and you can't. Oh, some people only have 15 minutes, only have 20 minutes, only have 30 minutes. So you want to get something in every single day rather than nothing. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I love to talk about the app more. So how do you think your app differs from other fitness apps and what benefits could it I, offer users others can't? I think that my app is different from everyone else because it starts from the foundation. It teaches you the stretching. It teaches you how to activate your feet. It gives you a lot of the exercises and the movements that most apps don't do. A lot of apps, people are doing new stuff every single day, which is very possible for me to do. But in the beginning, to build the foundation, you know, listen, there's probably like 50 videos there already. We've only been online for like four months. And I'm, I'm having a lot of people now that are texting me and emailing me, wow, Justin, I'm really, really doing so well with your method because I'm doing every single video and I'm listening to your motions and your movements and your speaking and I'm understanding the cues and so forth. And I think that's the key. The key is, is how do you relate to the client on the other side? How do you express 
in your videos and how do you speak to the people because it's speaking to the public. And again, I'm not trying, I'm not giving anybody the advice of you're going to get in shape using my method in one week, one month, like this. Saying if you start from the foundation and you listen to my movements and my exercises and my speeches and my talks and my seminars and so forth, if you listen to me and we work together as a team, there's no way for you not to get in shape. But if you start from square 10 instead of square one, you don't build a house from floor three. You build a house from the foundation. So as long as you learn that and understand that, that's how you're going to be successful. If not, it's possible. Mm -hmm. And my app gives you the opportunity to do that because it's not asking you to be successful in one day. It's asking you to be patient. It's asking you to understand and connect your mind and brain and body to movement. And then this way you'll be able to be successful. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I love that. And one thing that I've been reading about a lot recently is, you know, if you look at athletes from a young age all the way to the college age who have been training for their sport, you know, when they're done with college and don't go professionally, if they, you know, they don't make it professionally and they end up dropping off, they can't think about fitness the way a trainer does. You know, they've had that gap in their training where they're not taught the foundations or how to think about working with their body. And I love how your app has that part where no matter what you, everyone has a foundation. So you're set. You could think about being healthy the way it's supposed to be. I love how you incorporate that. Yeah, because if you don't have that, you're never able to get there. And most people want you to go and get to the, to the second or third or fourth or fifth level or the elite level without passing the foundation. But if you don't understand the foundation to you and you've never exercised before, you never understood movement before, and you never did any of these types of exercises you know, throughout your career or your life or your lifestyle, and you're not adapting movement to your lifestyle, there's no way for you to be successful. And that's why my app may not have 5,000, 10,000, 15,000 people yet, but it will because it will gradually get there. And I've always said, you don't build Rome in a day and you don't build the house from the top floor. So as we start to grow and get more and more people each and every day, that's how my app is becoming more successful each and every day because people are word of mouth, number one. And number two, you know, I just did a soft launch. So it's more of a word of mouth, you know, and now, you know, yeah, I posted that Instagram store, but I haven't really done any marketing or advertising too because I want to see people grow. And I don't want it to be something that everybody just does it to do it because Justin was a supermodel trainer or Justin trained celebrities. I want people to do it because they want to know more about themselves. <laughs> All right. So All right. awesome. I, I want to thank you so much for giving me the opportunity. I just want you to know that I'm really proud of you for being the empowered person you are for taking the time to not only speak to me, but speak to other business professionals. Exercise, fitness, and health is about you being the best in you, connecting your mind and brain and body to movement. And once people understand that, and once people can relate exercise, movement, health, fitness, and wellness to themselves, the better they would be. And as I always say, at the end of the day, it's all about being the best you. So thank you so much. I appreciate your time. And hopefully we get to talk again. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for hopping on, JG. I appreciate your time. Yes. Be good.